Before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to The Truth Prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. You have to acknowledge what's going on and deal with it. And sometimes it's easy for us as professionals to get, we, we surround ourselves with work or we, we, we occupy ourselves with things not to deal with what's in front of us. Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gavis. And each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears and let's get into this. Come on. Good people. Welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. Mm. I can't even remember what episode this is. I think it's 40. But uh, today I am super excited and have the pleasure of talking to my man Double G, Galen Gordon. What's up, Galen? What's up, fam? How are you? I'm great, man. I'm I'm very appreciative that you you came. You you're in town for the Jets game and uh, Eagles well, Giants. Eagles, Eagles Giants. Eagles, Eagles at Giants. Giants. Yeah. This, Don't put that Jet stuff on this me. guy. Eagles <laughs> Giants. And uh, was able to come to the studio and talk to the people a little bit about uh, about his truth, about the truth, I should say. Uh, just to give a quick background, Galen is the vice president of talent management in NFL, um, in charge of on air talent. Uh, when I went on the website, I counted uh, sixty eight people uh, who are sort of under your purview that mm-hmm. that you manage so and that, counting, yeah, and counting. So mm-hmm. that's impressive, you know, including people like Michael Irvin, Terry Bradshaw, Troy Aikman, Michael Strahan. And many others. Well, hang or, on. So yes, you, yes. Said you had Bradshaw and Strahan. Yes. Those are Fox people? Those are Fox people. Yeah. So the okay. NFL media group, um, Michael Irvin. Uh, so we're, we're partners in the sense of Thursday Night Football. Okay. We're doing that. But, you know, Strahan and um, uh, Bradshaw and Aikman, those okay. guys are under Fox. They work for Fox. Correct. Okay. Yeah. But you you produce, you help produce Thursday Night Football, the show? I don't. Oh, you don't. I don't. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, but I'm glad we're having this conversation so we can find out what, what, what I said. Absolutely. Right? That, that's definitely one of the conversations. Yeah. So, previously he worked at ESPN. Mm-hmm. Uh, he helped launch or rebrand shows like First Take, Numbers Never Lie, the uh, Stephen A. Smith show, quite frankly, mm-hmm. Sports Center, Coast to Coast. Uh, prior to that, he was a news network producer working at ABC, NBC, appeared. Uh, and he spent three seasons, well, three years actually at CNN, where he spent. He also spent some time with uh, Wolf Blitzer. Mm-hmm. Uh, got his degree in mass communications from Oral Roberts, and I, th- I thought Oral Roberts was interesting. First of all, because I never heard of it. <laughs> Second of all, uh, it's in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And third of all, for whatever reason, most of the no- notable alumni are either uh, Major League Baseball players or preachers. <laughs> so, Amen. <laughs> you know, Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen. Yes. yes. Joel Osteen uh, graduated from Oral Roberts. Yes. So, Galen, I usually give people a choice. You want to start with personal? Or you want to start with professional? Um, let's go professional. Perfect. Mm. Go ahead, get into it. So, t- talk to us about uh, a professional uh, truth that you glean from your work experience, your life experience working. Typically, we talk about when we talk about truth, it's something that you were ignoring, and then once you accepted it, it allowed you to break through certain barriers. That we're all blessed with 
certain gifts and abilities. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't necessarily put my finger on one or two. Mm. Having, you know, two parents that are from Jamaica, you know, they were just like, just work, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But I I found that as a journalist, I started out in journalism, I, I found trying to balance I, I loved writing and that's, yeah. that was my, my first job, uh, internship, I should say internship was at a newspaper and did that for my last year of college. And then two months after graduating from college, I was hired to be an associate producer in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And the intent of the news director was to make me an on-air reporter, yeah. but I would sit next to the producers and learn how to basically write for television, writing for television and writing for print are is basically two different things. When you write for print, you know, you can put the almost the who, what, and when in one sentence, you know, mm-hmm. but that's not the way people talk. You know, right, right. we talk one thought per sentence. So you mm-hmm. basically, that's, that's how we talk. So you basically have to learn how to write that way. Anyway, so the more I sat next to producers and watching how shows are put together, I quickly learned that my personality is more so around managing the whole thing mm. as opposed to having one aspect of a news cap as, as a reporter. That's not to poo poo reporters and, or anything like that. Absolutely not. But you know, it's just knowing my personality and knowing my, my um, willingness to lead and <laughs> take charge of certain things. Producing was just such a natural fit for, uh, for my demeanor. So Got it. that was a, that was a, it took about two and a half years to figure that out. But that was an early lesson that's that's helped me along the way. You said that we you you can have many talents and gifts, mm-hmm. but sometimes you're not sure which direction you're going to go in. Yeah, and, you, and so it sounds like the truth that you understood is that I'm better off behind the camera instead of in front of the camera. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. But what I guess what I'm saying the essential nugget there is that you have to sometimes try different things, or yes. that you tried different things in order to hone in on what Cor- exactly you wanted to do. Correct. Trial and error, and um, just just figuring out what 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 you're good at and what you're natural at. Yeah. And no, look, no one's a natural on your, you know, personal personality that always takes time. Yeah. Uh, but writing was, was writing was something that, that came easier to me. Um, of course you always write as a reporter, but the combination of writing, the combination of, of, of being a person of color in a mostly white newsroom, Oh, and is it, it other newsrooms mostly white? <laughs> mostly white newsroom in an industry <laughs> where you don't see a whole lot of our faces. Yeah. The ability to produce shows that tell stories about our experience, so to speak. Not that I was producing a black newscast, right. but uh, for example, my very first newscast was the day of the Million Man March. The very first newscast that, that I produced. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 1995. The very first newscast I produced was um, the day of the Million Man March in Washington, D.C. I was It was 1995. I was 23 years old. And there was this event happening in D.C. that I kind of wanted to go to, but I couldn't be there. So the next best thing for me was being a you know an African American associate producer, I kind of raised my hand you know to to produce this new newscast, and for me it was I was able to sit through our editorial meetings and lend just perspective as a black man in this country as to why this is important mm. and how we can cover it macro from the national level is you know how the country is reacting to it but at the same time as a local news producer, hey, what's happening in Tulsa while yeah. you know amongst the black community as this 
uh, event in the black community across the country is happening. And so that was, um, that was <laughs> what a way quite, to start it yeah, off. That was, that was, that was the start of my career. So it's, <laughs> you know, I forget that story, but you know, that's, that's a great story. That's what launched my career. And I've, I've been, you know, an, an advocate for diversity and inclusion in this business ever since. So was it because you were working that you couldn't go? Is that, Correct. is that why? Okay. Correct. So you said, since I can't go, let me see how I can still lend. And you actually offered to, you know, to, to take over this, this project of, of creating the story or, or managing the story about the local effect of, of the Million Man March Absolutely. in Tulsa. Absolutely. As a That's producer, great. you're, you're basically, you have a segment of time that you have to manage for a station. So whether it's at noon or five o'clock or whatever, you, you have reporters that are assigned to your hour. Mm. You assign reporters to their respective stories and you, you build out your rundown based off, off of what's happening. So I remember mm. building out that A block of, going to the national reporter as to for the, hey, here's what's happening on the ground in D.C., and then a local reporter somewhere in Tulsa talking about what they were doing in Tulsa to acknowledge and support the uh, the cause of the Million Man March. Yeah. So, um, and I felt like as, as a African-American male, I was uniquely qualified <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. to produce such a newscast. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, professional truth number one, don't be afraid to try different things. Absolutely. So that you can figure out exactly what your, uh, what your, what your gift is and why, why you're here. Cause we're all put here for a reason, uh, in a season. Mm-hmm. All right. Let me get started. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> number two, let's talk about a personal truth. Sure. Now you've got a, I mean, you've got a lot to, to draw from. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know where to start. You, 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 you know, you came here, your, your parents, I mean, you, you were born in, I think you told me you were born in um, Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. Mm-hmm represent but from you know jamaican jamaican parents yes um obviously you know you went through everything you went through you're you're married now mm-hmm. you have a child nine-year-old named blake uh, wife named adrian what's up blake mm-hmm. uh shout out no doubt blake has some some needs some some need i want to call it special needs but he has some challenges yeah um that that you as a parent are responsible for so you've got a, a lot to to draw from so yes whatever whatever you want to take personal truth <laughs> it's a lot. Um, personally, I've I've learned to. I don't want to go too deep, so I'm, just, yeah, I'm gonna take yeah, about yeah. maybe five feet. Okay. <laughs> but, How about three feet? Uh, whichever. whichever. <laughs> but personal truth, I've learned over the last, especially the last uh, four years in particular, uh, I've dealt with a lot of loss. Mm. You know, personally, you know, I I lost my my dad, and mom in the last three years yeah god rest her soul yeah 2017 october right? yeah my mom october passed. yeah my mom yeah. passed october um at literally this week last year uh in october mom passed mm. and two years prior to that um my dad passed mm. a year before that my wife and i were expecting our second child mm. and uh we had some complications lo- along the way and then lost and lost that yeah and so i just remember being in and with each event, and I learned this through a class that I, I'd taken a year or two after that, through each event, I, I'm able to, I have, I have this u- unique ability to manage through. And I'm not saying this is a great thing, but man- <laughs> manage through and make sure others are okay throughout, through that situation. Sure. So I'm able to put myself, uh, um, put others first in the midst of this to make sure others are taken care of. And I, I, I consider myself uh, last again, I'm not saying mm. that's a good thing, mm. but it's um, when my dad passed. I, because I was charged with managing 
my parents' assets or whatever. Yeah. I, I just kind of went into what I call go mode. Yeah. Okay, this has to get done. That has to get done. This has, this has to get right. done. But in doing all of that, you have to take time for, for yourself to acknowledge what's going on. Mm. You have to acknowledge what's going on and deal with it. And sometimes it's easy for us as professionals to get, we, we surround ourselves with work or we, we, we occupy ourselves with things yeah. not to deal with what's in front of us. Because that's what we're good at. We're good at, um, uh, how can I say this, uh, accomplishing tasks. I mean, that's how we got to where we are. Yes. By accomplishing tasks. So that's the, the path of least resistance. Let me just do. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so that's not always a, uh, that's not always a good thing. Although you have the ability to still compose yourself and quote unquote lead through these things. At some point, it's what about you? Mm. You have to take, you know, stock and investment of you and really just take time out to just pause, exhale, and breathe. And as I said earlier, just acknowledge, okay. you know, all that's, all that's happening. Okay. So professional, personally, don't ignore what's going on inside. Mm-hmm. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's big. And bro, I would, I would even venture to say, even when things aren't happening, even when, you know, you're not dealing with a tragedy like a mother or a father. Mm-hmm. It's on the everyday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, figure out, deal with what's going on. We talk about this sometime on the show, like how ignoring those things can really lead you down the wrong path. You start making decisions that are not in line with, you know, your truest uh, self. 100%. I've been, I've been blessed with two wonderful parents who had faith in God and mm-hmm. in many ways forced us to, I should say exposed us to the power of faith and mm. prayer. Yeah. And it's whenever I go through times that might seem difficult for most others, I know where my foundation is. Mm. I know where my faith is. Mm. I know how to okay, this is where this is where we are right now. Yeah. Let's 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 manage through, pray, hope for the best, do do everything you can and God will do everything you can. Now, when you finally took time, this is sort of a separate question, but when you finally took time to sort of acknowledge what was going on with you through all these losses, mm-hmm. um, how, how how did that affect you? Like, what you know, what 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 were you feeling? Like, what was the what was the, the experience? It was. Uh, I'll, I'll give the example with my wife uh, in particular was that happened over the course of uh, a weekend. Oh, so so. <laughs> It was, imagine it's a Friday night and you're 21 weeks pregnant and her water breaks. And so you go to the hospital and you kind of know what it is, but you don't want to acknowledge it yet until the doctor comes in and kind of tells you what it is. And so we finally got the, you know, the uh, diagnosis, if you will, late that night and what we had to do. And yeah, Mm. we we had to um, do some things to induce labor. And throughout all that, as it was happening, it was like, okay, Blake, you're gonna stay with uh, your nanny for the weekend. Ad- you know, Adrian, I'm gonna just be there for her and with her throughout the, throughout the whole thing, mm-hmm. from getting to the hospital to inducing labor, and then, you know, 24 hours later, um, the uh, your child arriving via still um, stillbirth, yeah. and spending time with that child acknowledging that that child and holding that that child and saying goodbye you know to that child and just being there for for my wife so to answer your question it wasn't until i got home because she stayed she spent the night in the hospital and 
I picked up Blake and I got him in bed that night and it was Sunday night. I, I got home and, and everything just kind of, uh, came out at once, mm. you know, and mm-hmm. I, it was, it, it was a release. It was a release that was certainly needed. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I don't, I, I never question God, you know, I, I've been blessed in so many, so many, so many other areas uh, of my life. And this, this one thing is, okay, things don't go the way that you anticipated, mm-hmm. but you know, there's a bigger purpose, there's a bigger cause and you just got to keep on keeping on. Yeah. Well, that actually, that segues perfectly into my first question, which was to, to talk a little bit about your mom. Your mom passed in October uh, mm-hmm. last year, this week. Mm-hmm. Just talk a little bit about her legacy and how she influenced you as a man and, and her um, stamp on your success thus far. She is someone that, you know, we all talk about how great our moms are. My mom is, is truly an incredible um, human being from the sense of she experienced loss at a very, very early age. When she was three, her, her dad passed away. I believe it was diabetes. Mm. And then when in, in Jamaica. And when she was 14, she lost her mom uh, mm. due, to, due, to a, due to a car accident. <laughs> and so she is a 14-year-old young woman in Jamaica that doesn't have a whole lot but just her, her faith. And her her parents um, stressed education to her. By 18, 19 years old, um, her cousin, my uncle in England, sent for her. She put herself through nursing school in mm. England. And then when she finished that, took a boat from England to Canada, where she started working as uh, a nurse. And then from Canada, went to Brooklyn, where she met my dad. Mm. And uh, they married, and, you know, I'm the third of uh, the third of, of four kids. Oh. I went to story, she told me, like, how I got my name was she was, when she was studying nursing, I guess Galen is the you know, the first uh, doctor or whatever. I, th- I think that's uh, what, the, what the story is. And so she liked that name. And so... Uh, okay. And that's how I got the. That's how I got the name. That's how I got the name Galen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So was it her sort of her her perseverance that yeah. uh, that you you used as a model? Um, everything she did sounds like she was very uh, very self motivated. <laughs> she was. You know? She's very very rooted, uh, very much rooted in her faith and in her own ability to um, you know pull herself up by the bootstraps and and make something. For my, I think I told you my sister, she's a doctor. She's a, mm. a GI, yeah. and um, she told my sister, "If I can be from Jamaica and be a nurse in this country, mm. there's no reason why you can't be a doctor." And yeah. and so hey. I never knew that story until wow. my sister said that at mom's funeral, you know, last year. Mm. And she was someone that uh, powerful. She lived her life for. God, number one, but uh, certainly her family. And so I, I look at it as I have no excuse hmm. um, not to maximize the the God-given abilities, you know, that have been placed upon me. And so when people, you were talking about my career earlier, and it's, 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 it's gone through a lot of different phases, if you will. And, and people always, that typical, people always ask you that typical 
question where do you see yourself in, in, in five years? And my, my answer is always, it's always the same. It's like, I, I'm seeking the greatest expression of myself in this business. And so I don't want to be necessarily put in the box of he's just a producer or he, he's just a local news producer or, or he's just a, a writer or he's just, okay, he's just a producer. Oh, he's just a, a local news producer. Oh, he's just a network news producer. No, I, 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 I try and, um, continue to work hard, continue to learn something every day mm. to um, essentially, you know, where I, I, I see myself as, as we're in service, you know what it's, this is uh service is the price you pay for your time spent yeah. on, yeah. <laughs> spent here on earth. I think it's Muhammad Ali. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so that's, that's how I look at, um, you know, this life and, and what I do. Speaking of, of career advancement, um, when we were on vacation. You were you were telling me some some great stories about uh, NABJ and how mm. <laughs> you know basically it was almost like every time you went to a <laughs> to a conference, yeah. you know something great happened to your career. So I just wanted you to talk a little bit of, for the journalists that are listening. Talk a little bit about the uh, National Association broadcast of Black excuse me Black journalists journalists and yes. how it's helped uh, your professional development. It, it it changed my life, um, literally. Uh, my, my I got graduated in '94, and my first NABJ wasn't until the summer of late summer of '95. Mm-hmm. And I went to it was in Philadelphia, and I went to this this conference, and there were two to three thousand journalists from across the country. Imagine being a, a, <laughs> like you're, you're again. I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I started there, and I don't see. I'm in newsrooms where there's no one that really looks like me. Yeah. So imagine going to a convention where there are two to 3000 journalists that not only look like you, but are, they occupy roles and positions that y- you aspire to. Yeah. And as, as ignorant and crazy as it sounds, it was like, wait a minute, there are black executive producers and, <laughs> and it's that, you know, right. and so, um, I immediately identified mentors and people that could speak directly into my life and kind of help guide me, not necessarily looking for them, for a hookup or a handout, but sure. it was like, you know, cause mentorship, mentorship. Exactly. And so early on when I, when I, uh, after that two and a half year period where I figured out, when I figured out if I wanted to be in front or behind the camera, once I figured that part out, I started going to NABJ and mind you, I'm, I'm still a black, I'm a black male news producer. And so little did I realize that I was in demand, mm-hmm. uh, kind of across the country I, i'd go <laughs> my first couple of years i'd go i i would leave with like two or three job offers crazy. and i feel blessed and fortunate that you know I, I do i wholeheartedly believe things happen for a reason but i i just feel blessed and fortunate to have the opportunities that i had along the way yeah and i made a, a ton of mistakes along the way but nabj and the friends and mentors that i have with within within that organization uh, were there every step of the way and, you know, forever grateful to that organization. You still go when you can. I haven't missed the convention since 95. Okay. Well, that answers that. <laughs> I've gone every year you since know, 1995. You know, it's interesting. I can imagine that since 95 to now, yeah. because of the position, the position that you're in, yep. that you're now able to be that mentor yeah. to folks coming up. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. That's, and that's the mode that I'm, that I'm in now. I'm just in giving back and, you know, telling these younger journalists, tell, tell producers and reporters and anchors about their reels hmm. and just sharing them, imparting uh, in them 
um, wisdom in terms of, okay, you might want, might not want to wear that, you know, focus on mm. your content, not your cosmetics, because your mm. content is what's going to carry you, mm. you know, at the end of the day. You can fix your cosmetics as you get older. You don't know how to do <laughs> hair and makeup right now. Grant, I get it. You're 21, you're 23 years old. Right. <laughs> oh, by the way, you don't know you don't, <laughs> don't know how to do this. So just, um, I, I get a, I, I take such joy in just being a mentor too. Uh, younger journalists, because, you know, people like Paula Madison and Kim Godwin and uh, others were there for me, you know, along the way, still mm. to this day, to, um, to some degree. Mm. So there are, there are just uh, a lot of folks that I, that and I don't want to leave anybody out. So I should probably shouldn't start naming names, but there are a lot hey. of folks that, that spoke directly in, into my life um, as a journalist that helped build and develop my career. So, you know, along those same lines, I just want you to talk to, again, the journalists that are listening and just people in general about, you know, producing a new show, right? Mm -hmm. How that's different from sort of uh, your job, your role now where you're managing talent. Yeah. You're not producing the shows, but you're, you know, your job is to curate these guys and make sure that, you know, they're, they're doing what they need to be doing and then also hiring new talent. Yeah. It's a different, you're producing in a sense because you're adding that ingredient to the show. Yeah. But you're not you're not in charge of the overall vision. Yeah. So how, you know, we, we, we I talked about earlier about how, how things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. And so I spent nine years in local news from 94 to 2003, um, Joplin, Missouri, all the way to, to New York city. <laughs> and as a local news producer, you're, you're directing and managing anchors and reporters. Okay. And then I spent three years, as you mentioned, at CNN as a network news producer. And you're dealing with, again, anchors and reporters and the journalism and the stories stories that they're telling, right? And then I go to ESPN and I spent 11 years there, Mm. literally creating shows, developing shows, rebranding shows. And they're mostly debate shows, shows that we've heard of that are still on the air to this day. First Take, um, Numbers Never Lie, which eventually became His and Hers and and uh and shows like that so in producing those shows you're literally producing conversations you're you're sitting down talking to analysts analysts being a former player um and producing conversations Mm. and saying and 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 i don't want to say teaching but say hey the best way to get to get to this conversation is this or to get to your point is is this okay so take all of that experience right and it rolls into what i do now um, as the head of talent for the NFL Media Group, uh, I deal with reporters, anchors, and analysts. Mm. Uh, basically, I'm in, I'm charged with their hiring, development, feedback, coaching, all of that. So mm. my experience, interesting. So my tw- you, you mentor them as well, correct? My 24 year experience as a journalist rolls right into this job. Um, so I'm able to identify a a good storyteller, a good reporter. I'm, I'm able to coach anchors as to the role they should play in managing and being being curious on their shows. And when I say being curious, it's like if you have an analyst, if you have a former player on set with you, you need you need to get out of them what they don't know. In other mm-hmm. words, that that former player or athlete, take us inside the locker room, take us on the field, take us on the film room. You see the game in a way that the average fan doesn't. Yeah. And that's your responsibility as an analyst. As an anchor, it's your responsibility to get it out of them. Mm. As a reporter, it's your responsibility to bring fans closer to the game. Mm. 
you know, tell us what's happening. Yeah. And so all of that, all of that plays into, into my resume, which is, um, which is a blessing. It is a blessing. It's interesting how all your, all your experiences sort of culminated into this. Yeah. You know, where you are now. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna jump into yes or BS. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> so, you know, I'm gonna say I'm gonna make a statement. If you agree with it, say yes. If you think it's, it's nonsense, say BS. You can you can expound if you want or not. It's okay. Up to you. All sure. Right? Mm-hmm. Number one, Drew Brees is the greatest NFL quarterback ever. <laughs> uh, BS. <laughs> And and that is not to diminish any of his his accomplishment as the all time um, passing leader in league history. Okay. Well, that doesn't necessarily make you the greatest. And um, th- there are those that you know are in other parts of the country, say yeah. the northeast part of the country. Yes. Uh, in New England, that may say, so pe- people tend to measure <laughs> right. people tend to ma- measure the greatest by um, championships by championships. Yeah. Right or wrong, fair fair or unfair. Drew Brees does have a championship. He does have the all-time passing yardage record in league history. But it's a different game now, you know. Mm-hmm. And there are guys that Joe Montana, John Elway, Dan Marino that um pass for that that pass under a different game, a much more aggressive game, mm. if you will. Rigorous. Yes. <laughs> exactly rigorous. <laughs> right. So Drew Brees had the fortune or unfortunate of um playing in an era where it's a it's a, it's a passing league. And okay. if you think about it, he broke a record that only stood uh for, you know, a little more than three years. Mm. So Peyton Manning had it before that. So True. I can't necessarily anoint Drew as the greatest ever and that's no shade on drew whatsoever what he's done is tremendous but i can't say he's the all-time greatest quarterback in league history yet. okay number two and i'm gonna ask you this question i'm gonna say it now adrian if you listen this has nothing to do with you this is just a question just just two guys talking sure the most beautiful caribbean women come from trinidad bs <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay, we're going we're gonna to move on. I heard a couple of brothers from different parts of the Caribbean say that, so I wanted to see your take. All okay. right, number three. An African-American will own an NFL team in the next 10 years. I want to say yes. Beautiful. We're trending in that direction. I believe we are. Number four, taking you out of your sport for a second. LeBron James is the greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. They're qualifiers to the greatest of all time, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so player, period. Yeah. Player, player, skill set. I'm just talking about skills. Player, set. skill set on the court. Yes. Because I'm not I'm not of the ilk that championships define greatness for me. I agree. Because, uh, because uh, championship, there's so many other factors that determine if you win or not that have nothing to do with you as a basketball player. Correct. Or a football player. Correct. I'm not ready to anoint him the greatest, but he's definitely on the Mount Rushmore. Okay. Number five. <laughs> again i don't know it's, when i write these things i'm like what are you thinking bro it's all good again adrian this has nothing to do with you <laughs> this is just two guys talking adrian is, is Galen's wife from alabama birmingham alabama where a lot of beautiful women come from as well uh, that's come right. from so yeah that's right and i'm not mad at the southern women shout out to my wife corinne who's a tennessee native there you go number five every single man should go to hedonism in jamaica 
you see the look on his face. <laughs> I'm going to say BS on that. Okay. One. All right. All right. <laughs> Number six. Fatherhood is mm. easier than marriage. Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. That is a good one. <laughs> and I'm going to say a qualified yes. Okay. And here's why. Uh, when you get married, you love your wife. Absolutely. You truly love your wife. That is your, that is your, your rib, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that when you have your, your, your first child or any child that your first one in particular, mm-hmm. you learn the meaning, you truly learn the meaning of unconditional love. And that's not to say you love your wife any, any less, but you know, you will give absolutely anything for, um, that, that child. So I'm not going to say it's, I'm not going to say fatherhood is easier, but through that lens mm. and through that lens of unconditional love uh, and the things that you'll do for, you know, that child when they're in like that infant stage, yeah. you know, talk to me later when, <laughs> when Blake's like the teenage years, hey. <laughs> right, 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 right. You want to hang out? <laughs> right. No, I'm good. I'm right. good. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Number seven. Oh, you gonna like this one? Stephen A. Smith is the most arrogant man on television and radio. <laughs> BS. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, I do like that one. Um, no, nah, Steve. Steve is he is one of the hardest working people on television, mm. and he has earned the right to. Um, you know, they say confidence comes through preparation. Yeah. You know, the more you know, people people who people who have the ability to make things look easy mm-hmm. that truly comes from preparation mm-hmm. and he by far is one of the hardest working journalists i've ever ever been around i can't think of anyone honestly that that works harder yeah when i when i started working with him in 2006 he had literally four jobs and he's not even Jamaican. He's West Indian. He's not Jamaican. So <laughs> and and quick caveat: you also met him at NABJ. I did. I did. Exactly. <laughs> Ex- exactly. Queens native. He's working. He's working for the Philadelphia Inquirer. He had, quite frankly, he had a radio show, and he was still somewhat an NBA uh, insider. And so um, he was working literally around the clock and had the ability to. I've never seen someone that is a traditional print journalist mm-hmm. transition into television as, as easy as, as he did mm-hmm. his ability to read off prompter, his ability mm. to, which is a skill people don't realize it is a skill. Yeah, it is a skill. People talk about his, and I'm sure he'll tell the story or he won't, he don't, he won't mind me telling his story. People talk about his vocabulary, yeah. but his, his deep vocabulary stemmed from a painful moment in his life. Hmm. He was left back in fourth grade. Interesting. Yep. And ever since then, he, um, every time he read something, if there was a word that he didn't understand, he always looked it up and learned that word. Mm. And he, uh, you know, promised himself that he'd never put himself in that situation again. Mm. So, um, I, I tend to say about Stephen A and I love him like a brother that people look on the outside and, they may love him or hate him. Mm-hmm. I say he's an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. But once you get <laughs> once you get to know him, you know you love him because the guy that you see on TV is still very much that guy. He's just not as um, maybe not as animated. 
You yeah, know? he's he's definitely calmed down over the years. Yeah, yeah. I laughed when you talked about vocabulary because I remember um, the first time I heard him, I actually learned a new word from him. He said vitriol, and I was like, vitriol, let me look that up. I think I know what it means in context, but right, you know, <laughs> he'll, so, make, he'll, he'll, sometimes he'll hit you on the head with some words, right? He'll make, right, right, right. Like, what? He'll, he'll make you run the dictionary, but yeah, I uh, love him like a brother. Number eight. And we got one more, so we'll, we'll be in good time. No Number eight. And being a, a New York native, mm-hmm. someone who has recently moved to the West Coast, this is a perfect question for you. Mm-hmm. L.A., yes. Los Angeles, yes. has more culture than New York. We're going to call BS on that. Okay. For several reasons. Um, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> New York is like literally a melting pot, you know. Mm-hmm. There, are, there, are, there are so many subcultures in Brooklyn alone, you know, let alone the Bronx and Manhattan, whatever. And so you have uh, in in California, um, there's a large Hispanic community. There's a large Asian, Asian community. Uh, and there's, there's a black community as well. But you have um, so many different um, cultures here in New York because this is where, you know, <laughs> bring your, your masses. But like this was this is. The um, my parents saw New York as the opportunity to um, start a new life, mm-hmm. and they wanted their children to be around diversity and the best of the best. So I can't, I can't, I love LA, but I can't ride for LA like that, <laughs> <laughs> or California for that matter. Yeah, excellent. Last one. Mm-hmm. Now this question is a little controversial. Okay. So if you don't feel comfortable answering, don't answer it. All good. That's what I tell people. Um, who are who are get annoyed by reporters? It was yeah. like they can ask you whatever you want. How you choose Absolutely. to answer it is is on you, or not answer it, right? But it's your job to answer to ask as a journalist. Absolutely, you know, I always tell people I come from the Carmelo school of of, of life. I'm gonna shoot my shot. Yep, absolutely. You know, regardless if it goes in or not. Yeah, that brother will shoot. <laughs> he will shoot. He'll go over seventeen and hit the eighteenth one. Absolutely. Number nine, Colin Kaepernick mm-hmm. should play in the NFL in 2019. That's an easy one. That's a yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. My man. That's an easy one. Yeah. I think, okay. um, you know, what, what Colin has done over the last uh, couple of years has been incredible in shining a light. Uh, and look, remember, you're talking to someone who's, whose first show was the... Uh, was, <laughs> Million Man March. Was, right? was the Million Man March. <laughs> but, you know, that aside, yeah. you know, I think what Colin has done has, has you know, sh- shined a light on an issue that is important, not just to... You know, people see it as a, a black community issue. No, it's it's an issue for all of us. Yeah. You know, and despite, you know, a narrative that people try and say that he is uh well people, you know, that live in, you know, a certain colored house in Washington, DC, mm-hmm. uh, despite a narrative coming out of there that, you know, Colin is disrespecting veterans right. and disrespecting the flag. It has, right. it has nothing to do with that you know, whatsoever. Said, you know, hundreds of times people have said that and they continue with this 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 line, and yeah. this lie. And I don't understand that. Yeah. So, you know, the league as a whole, you know, I, you know, I know that we're we're committed to telling the stories of what athletes are doing in their respective communities, you know, whether it's Thanks. social social justice, you know, black or white, by the yeah. way. And, you know, a lot of that ties directly to, you know, Colin Kaepernick, excuse me, Kaepernick. So I'm like, you you know who he is. Colin Kaepernick, you know, taking a knee when he did. So, And to be clear, for police brutality in America. 100%. That's what it was about. 100%. Give a little insight because you're on the inside. I remember when you even told me that 
um, as a league, you guys were even meeting about these things and, and that there's an increase it, at the NFL to improve diversity it's, yeah. and, and something that, you know, people are like, oh, I'm not, you know, I have friends who are like, I'm not watching the NFL because of what's going on with Kaepernick. But just talk a little bit about how they're actually trying to make things a little bit better. Yeah. People act like, first of all, the league is the league office um, in New York and the office I work out of in Los Angeles is uh, incredibly diverse. And again, we are committed to, you know, supporting athletes' causes. We're committed to supporting, obviously, this is October. So it's what started as Breast Cancer Awareness Month. It's essentially, you know, folded into cancer awareness for, for the lack, lack of a better sure. term. So, no, and, and there are people don't know that, you know, Roger Goodell's number one is a black female. And this is a woman. Shout her out. What's her name? Uh, Kim Fields. Okay. Um, she's an attorney. Um, she manages his his day-to-day. And just an overall, just good person. The new executive vice president uh, in charge of communications for the league is a black female. <laughs> her, <laughs> name, her name is Jocelyn Moore. Uh, you have Troy Vincent. So there are, you know, people want to um, paint the league. And look, no organizations without flaws. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to absolve you know, the organization that I work for for the past 10 months of anything. You know, of I'm not saying no other organization is perfect, but I do sure. know we are committed to um, doing the right thing in our communities, black, white, and and otherwise. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to the day when, um, you know, I, th- I think that Colin Kaepernick is back in the league mm. and we can get on with talking about, you know, what, what our athletes are doing uh, in their respective communities. Yeah. So we're proud that, of that. That deal he just signed with Nike, he doesn't really need the money now, but, you know, it's still right. <laughs> still, yeah. still, just from a, a principal standpoint. Absolutely. Good for him to get back and retire on his own terms. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, man. That was a, that was a great, a great way to end it. This was great. This was great, Gabe. Yeah, this was tremendous. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was absolutely. Yeah. When we started talking about this months ago, you know, I started checking out the, uh, Truth Prescription Podcast. That's right. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to this conversation. So, yeah. you know, thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. How can people, you know, reach out or, I mean, if, obviously you'll be in NMBJ, so yeah. if you really want to reach out, yeah. run, up, run up on them there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just to follow, sort of follow your career, what can they reach out to you at? Uh, Twitter, okay. Galen, G-A-L-E-N underscore, underscore Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N cool. uh, is one. And yeah, I'll, I'll respond from there. Cool. You know, before I sign off, I'm just going to say that one of the the greatest things that I I love about this conversation that I got out of you is your commitment to giving back. And I think it's really important and I think it's really heartfelt. And brother, you're going to you're going to do great things. Amen. Well, thank you. You're going to do great things. I appreciate that. And I received that. So, Yeah. 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 All right. As I always say, the truth will set you free. If you let it.